Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, it's Brian with 12 Pack Radio. And if you have listened to the last couple episodes, you will have noticed that there is a bit of a dip in audio quality. Uh, our, normally our podcasts are excellent and Rob has an awesome mic. My mic is pretty strong, but Rob's been on the road. And so what you'll notice is that there's a bit of a dip on that front, but uh, we'll fix that as uh, we continue to move forward. But uh, we wanted to make sure to continue to get you our breakdowns of each team as we move to the beginning of the Pac-12 football season. So our apologies for the, the dip and delay. And you'll notice that there there's like the crickets that Rob has outside uh, that kind of messed with some of the, the audio stuff that I do to keep actually the sound clean so uh, anyway all that stuff will be fixed but we want to get you our Oregon and Stanford deep dive uh, in addition to the episodes that we've done last time we'll make sure to, to update the quality I understand uh, but we want to continue to get you those episodes so without further ado here is our Oregon and Stanford preview oh, don't you dare be sour Yes, it is. For 12 Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac 12 football news, the home of the beta rank college football statistical model. This is a sharp college football podcast. Thanks for joining us. We are two weeks, three weeks, two and a half weeks away from college football, real college football, week zero college football, which is like, I mean, I'll take it, right? Like, I'll eat bad pizza. I'll eat bad pizza anytime over no pizza. And we are going to make sure to preview week zero. But that is neither here nor there. We are here to talk about Oregon football. We're going to take a deep dive into them, a deep dive into Stanford. We're going to talk AP college football poll. And uh, and we have some news. We had, we had a uh, the, the news fairy dropped a giant bomb in an oral history of the Pac-12 network, which, spoiler alert, was freaking bonkers and enjoy me to talk about all of that is rob bauer from sharp college football what's going on rob i'm 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 excited i mean you're not excited for nebraska and northwestern to play in dublin ireland let's go it's almost as good as uh didn't stanford play northwestern in like australia once i mean it's so stupid it's so ridiculous (laughs) i mean these what are these two teams playing in? i mean look like they used to do that thing for um, they used to have like a Tokyo Bowl where they would like send teams to Tokyo to play every year. And, I mean, admittedly, like there's no teams that you're like, oh yes, it makes sense on them, right? Like it's Tokyo, <laughs> like Nebraska and Northwestern. It's just, it's hard to imagine how how some TV executive was like, yes, let's do this in Dublin. In my in my brain. Right, like the Pac-12, right? They were going to build this empire in China, and and we'll talk about this empire in a second when we talk about the network, right? But there, there's this thing: it's like we're going to be huge in China, and then I would like to think, Rob, that the UCLA basketball team that stole like a bunch of you know tchotchkes from some random store in, oh, yeah. in Beijing, like I, I would like to pretend in my mind that they single-handedly destroyed the Pac-12 empire. Nothing, nothing is like a worse PR move than coming from like this like capitalist country, right? And 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 just going over to I mean, what is you know 
also a fairly capitalist country, <laughs> but in and, and, and immediately stealing things, right? Like, are you are you serious, UCLA? And yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. I guess that we should roll right into this news story that came out uh, from the Athletic. It was an oral history of the Pac-12 Network. Um, and so I, I'm I'm I'll be frank here. I started the first quarter of it, and I'm like, this is very juicy. And if I if I if I continue to read this, it's going to be noon because I'm just going to be fuming over it. <laughs> and so Rob, I know that you were you took the deep dive. You went into uh, you took the blue pill or whatever, and and, and jumped into that win- window. What 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 nuggets came out of this? Because uh, I've I've seen the notes on Twitter and it, it doesn't look promising in terms of the leadership provided in the conference of champions. No, I mean, so the big, I think there's a, there's a couple of big takeaways that everyone should have. And some of this is also from uh, people that I interact with and know on the Twitter machine. Um, so the, the, the big early takeaway of course is like the PAC 12 made the decision and we've talked about this, the decision to go it alone Without an, without an, without bringing on an ESPN or a Fox um, to to co-own the network and to help with negotiations, and I, I've had uh, occasional Pac-12 fans tweet at me that that was not the case that the Pac-12 had no offers. Um, but Bob Thompson, the former head of the Fox Sports Regional Network, who helped to negotiate the original Pac-12 deal ten years ago with Fox. Um, he said, yeah, there were offers from both ESPN and Fox to co-owned the Pac-12 network and Larry Scott talked to presidents into launching seven networks all on their own. And like a lot of the story, and, and I think you probably read some of it, like tends to di- dive into like the, the starting of the Pac-12 networks, which was, um, you know, very often like, how do we start this from scratch? Like, just, you know, talking to people like Michael Yam, you know, formerly the Pac-12 networks who had come over from ESPN, Ashley Adamson, you know, a lot of like familiar faces for Pac-12 fans from the Pac-12 networks. I talked to Rick Neuheisel. A lot of it is like, you know, what was it like as a, as a startup, right? But it's funny because there, there's a point where they had they basically had a year to like try to, they, they knew they were going to do it. They had a year to try to get things started. Um, they spent seven months putting the leadership team together <laughs> and like over marinating on that, unsurprisingly with Larry Scott. And then, and then they had to like sprint the final five months because they had actually accomplished nothing beyond <laughs> putting the leadership team together. Uh, um, and then, so that was like, I, I think that's, I mean, that's sort of like, if you're going to go back and think of like the major faux pas, that's the major one. Um, but then, like, and then, and then there's no other way to put it. And then like Michael Crow enters the chat. <laughs> so he's, he's the ASU president. Um, you know, he was the, he's been the ASU president for a long time. He was a huge Larry Scott supporter, probably his biggest supporter among, um, you know, the presidents and chancellors. Uh, he, uh, there was a, there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of good Michael Crow nuggets in there. Um, and look, they really do like talk about how, you know, for, uh, women's sports, you know, it was really a game changer for like women's basketball for the Pac-12, and that's good. But they come back at their and they basically say, and and Michael Girl was like, yeah, we we accomplished our goal. Our goal wasn't to make money. Our goal was to provide coverage for Olympic sports. Uh, oh my god! Like, which is just which is just mind blowing. Um, that 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 
uh, that you can still, I don't know, have that thought after, I mean, after clearly what has happened because of that, um, you know, with, with UCLA and UC, USC gone. But he then, um, they also went into the, the story of DirecTV, which was like the long-running, you know, like every question, every time Larry Scott stepped in front of a microphone, his first question was, what about DirecTV, right? Um, and some of it went into like, oh, you know, they didn't have, of course, an ESPN or Fox to help them do the negotiations. They had really expected Pac-12 alumni to be willing to cancel their DirecTV subscriptions. <laughs> they didn't carry the Pac-12. That didn't happen. Um, and then in 2015, there was an opening when the um, when AT&T who already had an existing contract with the Pac-12, bought DirecTV. And so in that opening, they were really close. They were they were actually writing the schedule of who was going to be covering the games that would be shown on DirecTV for the broadcasters. <laughs> like, it was known. Everybody in the Pac-12 offices knew this DirecTV was, TV deal was going to get signed because the lawyers were just down in the hall you know, banging out the final negotiations. And in order to, they had sort of, in all of the contracts that the Pac-12 had signed, there was what, some people like most favored nations. Basically, like, if you, if you sign somebody else for a lower carriage rate, then everybody now gets that rate, right? So, like, that's part of, like, the Pac-12 wasn't going to give DirecTV a better deal because then they'd have to offer the same better deal to everyone else. Yeah. So they kind of dug in their heels on it. Um, so AT&T comes back and says, fine, we'll sign this deal, but basically like you're going to kick us back some money on, on, you know, around the edges. And that is each campus would have had to sign up for seven figures in AT&T, like internet and cell phone services. Right. And they put this deal in front of the presidents and they turned it down. And at this time, the Pac-12 has something like 16 or 18 million subscribers. Adding DirecTV would have more than doubled the subscriber base because DirecTV would have brought, 10, brought in 19 million subscribers just on their own. And in doing this, they um, they turned it down. Each And some of you may be thinking, like, seven figures, like, that's millions of dollars. And that's true. Seven figures is anywhere between one and nine... <laughs> Nine million nine hundred ninety, you know, nine thousand dollars, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds like a lot of money. Uh, like, and I, I looked it up. Like, the University of Arizona, which is, I mean, like most Pac-12 universities, is a is a top research university, generates a lot of revenue. Um, they had a, a an annual annual revenue in 2015 of 1.85 billion dollars. Like. Seven figures is a rounding error for what IT at the University of Arizona probably <laughs> spent that year, you know? Like, <laughs> you can hide five or six million dollars <laughs> in your IT budget, <laughs> you know? And the president's turned this down, and it is that could have been a real game changer because at that point, the Pac 12 networks were generating, and, and over the life, of the networks, they generated, I think, less than $10 million in revenue per school. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just infuriating to read this. Because, like, look, the Pac-12 certainly has 
some handicaps, right? Like they have some positives too, but it's infuriating to read this because because a bunch of people that really had no idea of what actually is driving things, right? Of like, oh, we want to showcase the non-revenue sports, but forgetting completely what is actually the revenue model that underlies. Like what, what allows your your Olympic sports to be possible? What makes your women's sports thrive? Right is is the investment from your football and your basketball programs. And, yeah, and, and and with the football with all caps like football and basketball programs. It, yeah, and like it, the thing that was frustrating is like even gosh was this like 2015 or 2016? Like it was pretty. It might have been even later than that. Where still Larry Scott, you know, it, it's football week. It's the Pac-12, you know, opening uh, media days. And Larry Scott opens with, like, the rowing team from Stanford. And it just highlighted, for me, just the complete oblivious look at what actually drives revenue in sports. And, like, and I think for some people that listen to this, this is kind of tedious. But, like, the reason that your football program is now struggling in a conference that, uh, that has had poor leadership for a while, I mean, this is a big reason why. And, uh, you know, like you can't undo it and we are where we are. But like when people ask, like, why did USC and UCLA leave? Well, like this is a, a reason why. And uh, yeah, it, it was fascinating. Was it were there any other nuggets in there that like really jumped out as as being particularly interesting? Because I like I do like I mean, we've been doing the show for years. And the number one thing that always popped up for years was like, we're not on direct TV. We're not on direct TV. Like right. that, that was the number one comment that we got. And now we know why. And it was because like the universities weren't willing to kick over. Um, they, they weren't willing to, you know, borrow a little bit of PayPal, you know, it's like right. and, and, and giving up that for, right? and you have to remember too, the PAC 12, as this was going on, you know, as these very decisions were going on was a really good conference. Like there were, there were multiple years where you had Oregon state, like winning 10 games and going to like major bowl games. USC w- was like still really strong. I mean, like the PAC 12 was, was for a while, a very, very powerful conference that has been on the decline for years. And like, as that was happening, and I'm sure I'm getting the timeline off by a couple of years, but like the, the, the big point being th- there was a moment where this conference could have been really, really strong. And when you take a look at the actual decisions that got us to where we are, where it's like, oh, crap, like maybe we'll take San Diego State. We're not, by the way, we're not. But like, you know, that, yeah. that kind of, you know, that kind of thinking, this is the reason why. But was there anything else that like really jumped out um, on the page in that story? No, I mean, like, I, I, like, I don't want to, I mean, like a lot of it, again, you know, is, is truly like, you know, I mean, and we've had Michael Yam on the show before, you know, like, um, you know, and you know, really interesting, funny stories like Rick Neuheisel, like as he knows he's going to get fired by UCLA, Larry Scott comes over at halftime or like, you know, at the end of a game and just makes a pitch to him about joining Pac-12 Network, you know, like, <laughs> but like most of it, it was just, like the stuff that jumps out if you're like us, like very engaged Pac-12 fans, you know, slash media-ish, um, you know, is the is the just the real like just the real insane frustration? Like the, the the fact that like Michael Crow still doesn't get it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just, like the person outside of Larry Scott that is probably most responsible for like where we are with the Pac-12 
is is still wandering around like, oh, we hit our goals with Pac-12 Network. Like we were able to showcase rowing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's it's not even like a it's it's not the journey. It's the friends we made along the way. It's not even that. It's like we did it, y'all. <laughs> like that's kind yeah, of the I know. Well, and, and then there's the stuff of like where he's in there, and I mean, I gotta like I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to keep talking and find it. Um, he's in there, and he's got this just fantastic tweet, tweet or you know quote. But he calls the he called the Directv. He said the Directv deal was like a deal with uninteresting people. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you, Ponzi, arrogant, old goofball. Like you, you empowered Larry Scott, one of the most delusional, you know, people to ever get involved in college sports and perhaps major sports. <laughs> <laughs> you empowered him to come in and run this conference, gave him a truckload of money, gave him a loan that I don't think he paid back on buying a house in San Francisco, you know, like, and all of that. And you're like, yeah, well, it, yeah, it was, it was, what really matters is we were able to showcase the fencing team. Oh my <laughs> gosh. No, it, it's, so frust- it's frustrating and bad. And like, it, it is that schadenfreude like where it's, you know, I guess, you know, you read it and you, it, it is nice that that happened. And if you haven't had a chance, it's on the athletic. It's totally worth it. Like pay the dollar subscription to, you know, get access to it because it is fascinating to see the direction that the conference could have gone compared to the, the direction that it did go. Uh, anything else on that, Rob, before we hop over to the uh, AP poll and do some dives uh, on the teams this year? No, no, let's, let's hop over. Yeah. Well, my, this, this one's for you, Michael Crow. Thanks for, thanks for partying. Uh, <laughs> let's talk, let's talk uh, uh, AP poll here. It just briefly, because, you know, like this is I, I do think that that the preseason polls are fascinating because, you know, some people say that they don't matter. I do think that they matter because it keeps the, the, the teams that are in that top five. If you keep winning, you just stay there. And I know right. that they're they're mixing in the computers. They have the playoff committee and stuff. But like the, this is still a product run by people and, and the decisions are made by people after they got rid of the computers. And uh, and so if you're in that top five or even like top ten. That, that's a very good sign. Taking a look at what we have here um, on the Pac-12 side, you know, Utah clocks in at the highest rating at number seven, yeah. Oregon at 11, USC at 14, and and that's it, you know? And that's uh, it. That's kind of him looking through. I'm like, oh, wow, that's uh, – and I'm trying to look to see if uh, any other votes, you know, the other others voting. You still got two. Yeah. Um, Damn, wow, that's it. that was it. Yeah. Well, that's rough. Um, good times here. I, I do. Th- I I was worried because, like, at the very beginning, I had seen the top ten and I missed Utah for a second. I was like, "Oh no, is Utah not in the top 10 They're they're in they're in at seven, and I think that's great. It puts them in a position where if they win out, th- they are on the radar of of these voters and of of the committee, and they really have a chance at a at a national title. Uh, at a playoff. I wouldn't say a national title, but they have a chance to make the playoff for the first time. What since twenty? When did Washington go? Twenty fourteen. It's been a hot 2016. minute. It's, oh. been, it's been a, it's been a bit. <laughs> it, it always reminds me of like blue, like blue buds and I use air quotes, college uh, basketball programs. And then you look and see it's like, Oh snap, they haven't won a, a title or made a final four in like 20 years. Uh, the, the back 12 has, isn't that bad. Isn't that bad yet. But uh, that Washington, you know, playoff uh, performance is, is starting to look real far in that rearview uh, mirror. So uh, I don't know. Like the, what did, what did you think? Do you think these were appropriate? 
uh, rankings for these teams? And do you think there should have been anybody else that got thrown in the others voting or in the fold? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually largely agree with these. I mean, Beta Rank has Utah at eight projected coming into this season. It's got Oregon at 14. Um, and then we've talked about this, right? Like it does like, you know, Beta Rank's underrated USC at 34. Um, and that is, you know, a result of not seeing the coaching change. And I don't think really able to, to handle the volume of transfers. Um, I don't think the mod, like the projection models, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to get some more years like this where we have a ton of transfers coming in and maybe we get better data on transfers. Yeah. Um, to really be able to handle it. But USC is likely underrated. I don't like 14 feels about right. I mean, like, I think people are underrating how good Caleb Williams is, how good this offense will likely be. It's going to be a huge step up with Lincoln Riley calling plays. Um, but, you know, like, I, I think it's it's right to have them. They, 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 they're not a top 10 team. I don't think you can come in with the kind of defensive questions they have and call them a top 10 team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I, I was glad to see that the uh, Pac-12 East champion BYU was in the top 25. I think they could have an interesting year here. So it's fun to see them, you know, pop through in the top 20, 25 on their front. Um, Oregon at 11, I thought was a bit much. I, I would it's a bit high. Yeah. I mean, not bad, but. It, it, I guess that it's all relative, right? Like for me, just visually seeing them at 11, where it's, you know, like the defense was, was not great last year. They get a new coordinator. Yeah. And I think he's going to improve the defense. Um, but let's see what they do on the offensive side. They have Bo Nix and all that kind of stuff. But like, what, but everything's relative. Then you kind of look at, well, who are these teams clumped with, right? Like Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, NC State, Michigan State, Miami. I mean, like, I do. Then when you put those teams in context, and I'm like, well, yeah, maybe they should be at eleven. I do think that they're. Yeah, better. I mean, look, I think I think Baylor's a team that's got some serious regression possibility. They lose nearly all their skill position players. They lose a ton off of that defense. Um, Oklahoma State, they lose a mountain off of the defense. They lose their great defensive coordinator off to Ohio State. Now they do replace him with Derek Mason, but that's still Spencer Sanders running a not very good offense at number 12. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I, I like NC State around 13. I, I, uh, I've got them at 16. I think that they're, I think their team has real upside coming into the season, maybe. Um, I think Michigan State's overrated. They got pretty yeah. lucky last Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Um, but like my, I mean, Miami, you know, like uh, Miami might be a little high, but not too bad. Um, I'm really interested, like, uh, you know, there's some teams like Arkansas, Kentucky. I was a little surprised Tennessee wasn't rated. Um, but Arkansas and Kentucky are teams like that. I think could be pretty good this season, actually. And like Arkansas, um, you know, like has really made strides under Sam Pittman. They could be fun, yeah. you know, but yeah, I mean, like there's, I don't think that there's anybody really in the Pac-12 that has else that would have a potential claim to be in the top 25 heading into this season. There, there is a world, like if there's two teams that I think can get there, I think it, it is UCLA. It's probably Washington is the other one. Yes, that, I mean, like could get there in the, yeah, over the years. Yeah, but but it makes sense for them not to get the votes. At the, well, I, I was surprised, frankly, that UCLA didn't get more votes just given the year that they had last year. They bring back DTR. I, I get that the yeah. defense sucks, but – I mean, like when you group them with other teams that are like in that that camp, right? Kansas State, South Carolina, App State, Boise State, North Carolina. Like, if if those two, if those teams play UCLA in a bowl game, I'm not like, oh, that's a good game, right? Whereas if Oregon, you know, if it's Oregon, Oklahoma State, Oregon, Baylor, Oregon, Oklahoma, Oregon, Michigan, I'm like, oh, that'll be a good game. 
you know, uh, so yeah. I, I was surprised yeah. that UCLA was further down on that front. I, I, I totally get why Washington didn't get the votes, but I do think that they're a team that can come up and, and pop somebody. And then that's. I'm surprised they didn't get any votes. I mean, they, they were foreign. <laughs> well, I guess so was you. you was no, me, no, right? but I mean, like, I mean, you look at the talent. You look at the talent on that roster, right? I mean, and there's some teams that were not great last season who are, you know, have talented roster. Like North Carolina wasn't great last year, and they lose Sam Howell. You know. Yeah. Um, and and like Florida fired their head coach too, and they weren't great last season. They got fourteen, but I mean, you know, I like I, I just. <clears throat> I think I, I and man Auburn got 15 votes. Like I think I think Wash. I'm surprised they got zero votes. Let's put it that way. Actually, as I go through here, you know who like really got jobbed is Mississippi State. Where um, are they not in here? They are in the re- others receiving votes. Oh, hot damn! That team's going to be a top 20 team for sure. Like, and it might be better than that. Like they were. So with the, we had them last year. They had the number nine overall offense in Beta Rank. They return a ton on offense. They were number 37 on defense, and they were 119 in special teams. And, like, I fully expect special teams to not drag them down a little bit coming to this year. And we've talked about, like, with Zach Garnett, maybe we haven't talked about it a lot, but, like, in previewing that game that they're going to have against Arizona, Zach Garnett comes out at Rocky Long 3-3-5 school. Their defense was at 37 last season. I expect them to improve. Like, they can be really good. And Will Hall plays a bit like that Gardner Minshew version of that Mike Leach offense where he really distributes the ball around really high completion percentage. Not a lot of shots downfield, but they should be really good. Yeah. The, the one thing that I appreciated from last year and in subsequent years will be the the inexplicable bowl game and the poor play in the beginning of the year against stupid teams. And like it's oh. very, it's very, very entertaining to see the heads explode of SEC fans when Mississippi State just totally craps the bed in a bowl game or in like so like because that's Leach right it's it's a like I mean obviously he gets the players the players are going to be better than Washington State but that culture whether it's special teams bowl games or or looking down at opponents that I I just until I see that change I'm going to enjoy every bit of it, and it's the best. It's one of the best parts about college football, and it's great to see an even more passionate fan base melt down when it happens because they haven't figured it out yet. So that I think that's great. But I agree with you. I think I think you know Mississippi State being in the top twenty at least. They I do think that they got jobbed and not not even being yeah. in that top twenty five even. So um, any other teams on here? I mean, like right right. I mean at the top, it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. I thought was interesting at five. That I, I don't think they belong there. Um, then it's yeah, I think I mean, Notre Dame's like a top 10 team. I don't know if they're a top five team. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. New coach, new, I mean, not new scheme, but new coach. Like, let, let's see, let's see if, if yeah. uh, he can get it together there. I hope he does, right? Like, it's just, you know, seems like he's just really excited to be part of that program. But, like, man, you hire a 34 year old or whatever it is, like, you know, you gotta sometimes, sometimes yeah. you gotta learn your lumps and sometimes, you know, you get the prodigy. So well, he's an interesting one. Cause in some ways, like, I feel like we, I feel like we've watched this a lot recently. Right. So like new coach gets the job and they keep on somebody or they get handed somebody, you know, uh, for their coordinator. But he kept on Tommy Reese who some people really like, I haven't seen him put up, really good offensive numbers. Everybody sort of claims like Brian Kelly holding him back. Um, we'll see. Brian Kelly's gone, you know, like he should have a really free hand to run that offense. They weren't that impressive. Yeah. Um, last season. Uh, yeah, that's there. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will say, like Marcus Freeman, that defense was really good last year, and they, they should be pretty good again. But I don't. I, I think the Buckeyes are going to smoke them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, did you see the news today that Miles Brennan is retiring, and that maybe he's from injury at LSU, but he was told he wasn't going to be the starter. And I feel like we're like we're this much closer to like Jaden Daniels starting at LSU. That that is wild to me, and it's really frustrating also at the same time because. I think he was planning on leaving LSU, right? They talked him back. He was. He's going to transfer. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I mean, there there is so much value in getting a college football Sherpa, right? Like, pay him whatever you need to pay him to be like, nope, don't listen to him. He's full of crap. Or, you know, like, this office yeah. is garbage and you don't need to be a part of this right now. Like, you know, right. and, and, again, pointing back to Oregon State, the fact that Jonathan Smith doesn't have a good quarterback at Oregon State right? makes me want to throw something through my window. Like, know? Miles Brennan, people under, like, I mean, because that whole LSU season in 2020 was just, like, epic disaster, right? Yeah. But the the offense for the couple games when he was healthy was pretty good. And it was really... It was. I mean, it was really after he got injured that the wheels completely fell off, and of course, then everyone's also realized, like, man, Bo Pelini, not the answer. Um, but yeah, like I, I like my. If you had Miles Brennan on this Oregon State team, like, oh, buddy, like we'd be we'd be talking about like the Beavers is like a dark horse in the North, right? Well, yeah, that and if you are, if you're looking at LSU, man, like I, I really do want to see Dolores start just for the the. You know, was is it a chicken or the egg thing, right? Did, was he, is it just poor coaching, or does he really have it? Because I'd like to see him put it together, but I just, I mean, like we we were fairly down on him from the start, and not like not to pick on him, like you know he had a inter- he was he had a he was a baller at big moments his freshman year, and then and yeah. then kind of regressed, and I I want him to end it like I want him to go to the NFL and be awesome, but like I just. I don't know. Like I, I would, we'll see if it was him or if it was the coaching staff because he goes to uh, LSU and if he's the starter, man, we'll find out right away. You know what what the problem it's was. It's funny because he's like he's like prototypical. Like everybody has complained for the long. Like everybody's like, oh, Brian Kelly, like hasn't had a, a an NFL type quarterback at Notre Dame. And I'm like Brian Kelly. Like this is, it's not like he's like randomly assigned quarterbacks. Like he recruits these dudes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He goes out and finds these guys. Um, and he's got, you know, like he's he had Brennan, who's more of a prototypical, you know, drop back passer. And he's, you know, he's got that, uh, the, the Walker Howard, you know, like QB coming in. Um, and then somebody else uh, that they had, I think, transferred in from Texas A&M. Anyway, they, they ha- he has all these options, right? And he brings in freaking Jaden Daniels, who looks who looks and plays just like every schlep he's had at Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, which is like kind of athletic, not a huge arm, right? Not the most accurate downfield passer. Is he to mostly dink and dunk with short stuff, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like as soon as Jaden Daniels transferred there, you're like, oh, I can see this coming a mile away, right? Like we know it's going to happen, yeah. but it's just it's still kind of shocking to to see it because I mean the talent around. I mean it's like and is is Nussmeier still there? Now I'm like really spacing. Like I think it's yeah, and Nussmeier is still Nussmeier is still pretty. I mean like they got a bunch of guys that are still you know like you would definitely think of as like you know being ahead of Daniels. Um, but 
like I said, like Daniels really fits with what they like to Den Brock and Kelly have liked to do in the past. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And um, I, a couple other just notes from camp. I need to do my due diligence a little bit. I've been following as much as I can. Uh, some news out of ASU where their uh, defensive end that they were really excited about um, ended up getting injured. And that, that's a bummer because that def- – that de- I mean, I guess if there's going to be one injury, the defensive line for ASU – it was Michael Mattis, by the way, the defensive end. Um, that's the one area where I think it's okay to have an injury because I do think the line will be a strength, and we talked about that in our ASU preview. So just keep a lookout for that. Um, we'll continue to talk through some fall camp stuff as we go, but we're going to get to the point where we're going to know who the starters are. We're already seeing – um, quarterbacks transferring yeah. and, and that kind of news starting to, to crack through. So very interested in the final depth charts as we move forward. But Rob, let's talk about Oregon and let's talk about Stanford. We're going to do deep dives into both teams. Let's do it right after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back. We're going to talk Stanford first. We're going to talk Stanford first. A team that really burned me last year, Rob. I mean, real, they, they, they stuck that <laughs> knife in the back, and they shipped it up through the liver and into my lung. Like, that, it was rough, man. They, they, I mean, yeah. well, like, look, like, like, like the, the Max Hangover, man, like continually talking you into the Cardinal. Oh, my gosh. I was so bummed about that. Uh, Tanner McKee, obviously the quarterback coming in. And, you know, last year, I – the, the thing, the thing with Stanford last year was, I knew what I was getting into. I knew that they were gonna, they were gonna have a pretty good quarterback, decent wide receivers, no run game, and no defense. Start like, Jack West in that game against Kansas State. Oh Lord Almighty, yeah, that was awful. That was just a disaster. Um, gosh, talk about bad decisions. Holy Moses. But I mean, oh whatever. They'll, they'll win three games, or I think the three and a half was the win total. They go out, they beat Oregon, and I'm like sitting pretty. You know, I'm already counting my money. And they just basically don't win a game after that. Now, there were injuries, right? Tanner McKee is hurt. You have the wide receivers basically all out at some point in time. But the Stanford team, like, right, if, if you don't have a quarterback and your wide receivers are bad, there's nothing else on this team that has a, a value, basically, when it comes to uh, putting together a college football team, uh, regardless of the talent that you see on paper. I uh, it, It's frustrating, but... Let, let's start with a quarterback, right? Tanner McKee returns. I mean, he's got to be one of the top four quarterbacks in the league, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, people are going to talk about him, I think, rightfully so, as uh, an NFL draft pick. I mean, I don't think we're going to, like, unless something magical happens, I don't think we're talking about, like, a day one or two pick. But, you know, um, you know, a guy who's, you know, going to go to the combine, I mean, may go to the combine, definitely is going to get evaluated. Um, you know, prototypical drop back passer, big, strong guy can really, you know, make all of the NFL throws, but plays for Stanford. 
<laughs> doesn't have doesn't have a running game to support him anymore. I I think it's a strength. Um, you know, I was I was talking with our friend Hithliday. He was talking about doing some film study on McKee, and you know, we we saw with our own eyes, like, hey, he's good, right? Like, this is somebody yeah. that is is incredibly competent. He reminds me of a who, who's the Davis Mills, right? Where we were watching Davis Mills, I'm like, that guy's good. The, the rest of the team right. sucks, but he's good. Um, right. Mickey's like that 65% completion rate, 15 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He averaged about seven and a half yards a pass. Not afraid to throw it down the field if he can. Uh, the, the one thing that Hitlade really said jumped out in his film study was um, the unflinching resistance that McKee has to pressure. I mean, basically, he was saying like that, that guy would stay in the pocket and, and multiple times where any human being would be like, dear Lord almighty, get me out of here. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, I'm going to throw this and, and there's nothing you can do about it. That, I appreciate that. That's, that is, that is a superpower. Yeah, no, I mean, like, he's like, I, like we talked about, like, he's a really good quarterback and, and, and a guy that I think could really, you know, do some, uh, you know, do some damage this year if he gets this, like, but I think what we talk about with McKee and, and maybe even if the numbers don't end up being great, I still think he ends up because of the tape, you know, and, uh, you know, because of, you know, his, I mean, he was a top recruit when they landed him. Um, and what he can do physically, like you like, I, I, I think you still like him to be an NFL pick, but they, they really need the, the path, the pass catchers to step up and help them. Oh, absolutely. And well, we'll talk about those. I think one of the things that is worrisome though, is who's behind him. And it's always hard with Stanford football because their spring game is like basically a walk on showcase like every year. Yeah. And you just, there's no, like nobody covers the program. There's not a lot of news out of, out of the, the spring game. So um, I'm assuming to be Ari Paytu and I've, I, I, I've seen a little bit of him and I have not been impressed. So McKee goes down and I think you, you have problems now. Um, and you have to take that into account with Stanford because that line, you know, like we'll see. And I know they return a lot, but but McKee goes down, that offense totally collapses. You know, we'll go to the wide receivers, Rob. On paper, this is a good this is a good group. Michael Wilson, Bryson Tremaine, Elijah Higgins, John Humphreys. These are all like blue chip wide receivers. And man, I bought in last year. Now they did a lot of them got hurt at different moments throughout the season. Um, plus, they have their tight ends, right? Like, on paper, yeah. they should be able to put up a lot of yards, but they all got to stay healthy. And and even so, like anyway, I like I would assume you would agree that the the receiving core from the tight end to the wide receivers is a strength. Yeah, I mean, look, there's some guy. Like, I mean, like you mentioned, like there's some guys that they have signed in the last couple seasons. I mean, but like their last two big wide receiver recruits were in 2019 and 2020, and they haven't really signed a four-star wide receiver since. Um, and that's your 21 and 22 classes. Um, you know, like Elijah Higgins is probably their biggest signing. Their, uh, you know, back in, he was the, the headliner of their uh, 2019 class. But he's got, I mean, they're, they absolutely are relying on it. And Humphreys is the other four-star. They're really, those are guys that has to have to step up because like the other guys, you start getting into like high three-star guys, right? And, you know, as much as they, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, like, they don't run the ball all that well anymore, right? Like, this has to be the engine of the offense. These guys have to get open. They really, really struggled with it last year. I do think one of the, the players that really was hampered by, by injuries and stuff is Michael Wilson. Right, in 2019, he was their top pass catcher. 
yeah. I just expect him to get better over time. I mean, he was he was the top pass catcher with Simi Fajoko on that wide receiving core. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's good. He returns. Um, I, I do think that there is a world where Stanford this year is playing in a lot of shootout. Uh, you know, that's if Shaw is willing to open it up a little bit, which which he has in the past. Like, I think people all like the, the go to adage for Stanford is like, oh, you know, ground and pound and stuff like they They are like to his credit. There's been a lot of bad things that Michael Shaw, that, that David Michael Shaw, that David Shaw <laughs> mixing the wide receiver and the coach that David Shaw yeah. has done. Um, this is not one of them. I do think that he's willing to throw the ball if he has the receivers. I would very yeah. much like for them to do that. But then when you go from that, like when you take a look at the running game, I mean, it's 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 a disaster and it will continue to be a disaster. Like I I just don't like. Again, on paper, you look at this, you go, oh wow, they returned basically their offensive line. Um, but they lose Austin Jones, who was probably right. pretty good. We'll find out here pretty soon at USC. Um, and, they, and they do have, like, you know, the, the EJ Smith is likely going to be the, the white. But and to oh, me, it's. Pro Football Focus has him as a breakout candidate this year. Oh, well, that's stupid. That's stupid. No, I mean, I know, but I mean, like, like, you love what you see on tape from him, right? And then your eyes come back out to watch the Stanford offensive line round block and you're like, Oh, (laughs) there's not much to go. And and there are running backs that can cover up for the sins of the offensive line sometimes. Um, Right. And even that is bad. But when you have a running back that doesn't cover up anything, that's a problem. So like my, when we, when we end up, you know, summing up Stanford, EJ Smith is by far the person I am most interested in. Like, can he can he jump back or or do a little like little shuffle step and get past that defensive end that's running right down his throat right in order to right. say in order to turn it a four yard loss into a three yard gain but I'm not expecting him to get that ten yard gain right like I just I just think this is going to be a mess again. No, and I, look, I think too. I mean, look, like the actual the, the numbers look decent right for a lot of these guys and they stand for backs right both Nathaniel Pete. <clears throat> And EJ Smith averaged over five per carry last year. Um, you know, then Austin Jones, who was, you know, more of their workhorse back, he got 3.53, which tells you something, right, of like yeah. when Pete Smith made it into the game. But don't, I think people, you can read too much into that, right? Like Stanford mostly played really, I mean, some of the Pac 12 run defenses were horrendous last year. Um, and so, yeah, sure, like they, the numbers may look okay, but like Stanford's offense didn't put up a lot of points, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and they haven't really been able to run the ball effectively, really effectively in years. I'm, I'm skeptical of Smith as a breakout. I mean, if he is, I feel like it's in spite of, because they haven't been um, since, uh, you know, their old offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, one of the head coach at Rice. Um, they really have struggled to run the ball effectively and, and with their run blocking and run screen. Yeah, this is a weakness. The offensive line is a weakness. I know they continue to recruit well on the offensive line, but it doesn't matter. Oh. It reminds me of USC's line, right? They kept bringing yeah. these four and five star guys. It doesn't matter. Like you gotta, you have to, yeah. you have to be able to coach them and get them to do, you know, what 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 they have the potential to do. And there's just, I just haven't seen that for four years now. And it started that second year where Bryce Love, right, was back, right. Yep. The year before, they have the offensive line coach. That guy was averaging like seven to nine yards. A kick. It was something stupid. It was like some ridiculous right. number. The offensive line coach leaves, and that ever since then, it's it's been a mess, and that's a problem. So, 
and, and the thing, the thing that worries me because like, it is so frustrating because I want Stanford to be so good. Like I, I, I think David Shaw like is, is good. Uh, I loved what he was able to do to continue the work that Harbaugh did when he left. He still right. is bringing talent to Stanford. It's just, and, and I want to bet on it because I see uh, with my eyes on paper what this team should be. But, but this year, even more so than last year, I'm worried because like, let's say there's a, a world where the rushing game actually comes together and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a 50, you know, they're ranked 50 in the country at rushing like Stanford. Yeah could be good, but their defense is so bad that it's not going to matter. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing. That right. me. I mean, look, there's, there's a world that I think to your point, right. Where like, where Michael Wilson is back healthy and is really back to his old self. Right. And, you know, Higgins and John Humphreys are able to provide, you know, something extra there. The tight ends are still pretty good. Um, but yeah, then you flip it over and you still have the same problem. Defensive coordinator, um, and coaching outside of Dwayne Aquino, right? Well, even with Aquino, that secondary has has been kind of crappy the last couple of years. I mean, and I and right, like I think if you ask anybody about Dwayne Aquino, they're all going to say he's a good coach. At the same time, right. I'm looking at the production of that secondary over the last couple of years, and like, yes, they've had stars on that. You know, like I'm not saying that he hasn't produced and, and developed good players, but as a unit. You know, for all the all the the like and the support that we've internally like you know baked in to Akina being in the secondary, it still hasn't been good. No, I mean, I th- I, look, I think what, where you see his coaching is still being able to produce stars. Like Blue Kelly is really good. Yeah, um, and he's going to be really good again this year. Um, they don't get pressure on the quarterback like they need to, um, and these guys are just left hanging. Right? Yeah. I mean, um, and man, I mean. <laughs> They're like, I mean, and this is something that I, th- I feel like underneath all of the bad on Stanford's defense last season, like Gabe Reed was pretty good. You know, he had, he had 33 tackles, you know, he was, yeah, but he also, he had 10 tackles for a loss. I, I actually think like, I mean, him going to Utah, like that really, him not coming back really hurts. Yeah. And that, now you're getting to the phase where they haven't recruited particularly well up the center. Um, and they don't coach well. They right? don't like, coach well. And like now they're relying on freshmen and sophomores, yeah. mostly freshmen, right? Like, and they have recruited well at the edge. Um, and they do, you know, periodically bring in linebackers. Their recruiting class this year is great. But yeah. the recruiting class last year was, was pretty darn good. But now you're relying on those players with bad coaching rather than relying on like experienced five-star and four-star blue chip players and bad coaching, right? Like I just, I, I mean, how far down was their defense last year? Like, can it get worse? Like, I, I can, right? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, you think, like, you think, like, can this get any worse for Stanford? I mean, uh, but I feel like it's, we've been sort of having this conversation about them for a bit. Which, I mean, they were at 111 in, on, on defense last season. Like, that's, like that's, that's one of their worst numbers they put up. I would expect them to be better than 111. But they've mostly been in like the seventies or eighties with Lance Anderson, right? Like, what is better? Like, still an extremely bad Power Five defense. Yeah. So I mean, like, I, I guess you know you have like Anthony Franklin and Zach Buckley and like on the ends. But again, like Tobin Phillips is the is probably going to be your tackle, and there's really nobody proven behind him, and that's a problem. Um, I don't trust the linebackers now. I guess if there's one strength of this defense. 
it could be the secondary, right? That like like you mentioned, Caillou Blue. It's Kelly. the corner. It's yeah. probably like I mean, I would give. I mean, like I'm willing to give the safeties the benefit of the doubt and give them like a B minus B. Yeah. I think the corners are probably B plus, but the fact that they're going to be left out there hanging in coverage with like very little pass rush to like support them. Um, and then like, you might have to bring the, like, they might have to start creeping the safeties down to support in the run game. Like, yeah, that's a problem, right? Like they're going to, they're going to end up looking bad because the coaching has just been so bad. Yeah. The, the one, like, so they do bring in Patrick Fields at safety who will likely start. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. But like you're saying, right? Like if you, And if you've been, if you've had a football team whose defensive line cannot get to the quarterback, um, you know how frustrating it is, like, when you're watching your secondary try to catch up people. Because when it's a one-on-one matchup, one person knows the direction that they're going and the other one doesn't. Right? Right. There's an inherent advantage there. And so you got you got to pray to God for those first four seconds. And then after that, it's kind of a disaster. So well, you um, can only ask your guys to cover right for so long. Like it's, it's only possible to really cover for so long, um, you know, out there. And, and two, if you ask them to do that too many times, like they're, you know, the best players are going to get burned. Well, that, I mean, a little bit depressing, right? The, the Stanford, uh, but I mean, it's just, it, it kind of is what it is. And there was, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but like kind of basically the question was if Shaw goes three and 10 again, or three and nine or whatever, does he get right. fired? I think the answer is no, but you finally see Anderson and possibly um, what's his face up in the, uh, the play caller uh, on the offense. To be Pritchard, yeah. I think you finally... I mean, I mean, like I assumed that, that this would happen last year and the year before that, but it hasn't. But I think finally that happens. But you still have Shaw there. Is that? Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, like they. Like, I mean, a couple years ago, he finally he did. The offensive line coaching had been so bad that he finally did. You know, make a you know make a little bit of a change um, and bring in somebody new, um, at least at the offensive line, but. You know, like, I, I mean, Lance Anderson's been there for almost Shaw's entire career, right? I mean, um, and he's been hideous. Uh, you know, and that, I mean, that's where, like, I mean, th- if you look at this, if you look at the staff, you're, you're kind of going through and you're thinking, like, all right, is there, you know, who, who do you keep? <laughs> right? I mean, like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, if, you're, if you were going through this, like, I mean, you'd say, like, yes, I would keep Dwayne Aquino probably, right? Like, really good recruiter, one of the most respected, you know, like, position coaches in all of college football. Um, maybe you keep Ron Gold, you know, the running backs coach, depending on where the offensive line, because, you know, Terry Heffernan has been there for a little bit, but they're, they're, you know, they are sort of hoping he turns things around. But, like, and maybe Bobby Kennedy, a wide receiver, but... Reynolds, their defensive line coach. They've got, you know, two linebackers coaches that aren't, you know, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Lance Anderson's one of those, like you're, but they're, they, they all got to go, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's the real problem. Like, as you're going through here and Shaw's been, I mean, just remarkably, I mean, I, I think the one that stands out is we've been talking about like Jerry as an and guys that sort of had to go, right? Like, I mean, I'm surprised Marshall Yates lasted as long as he did. <laughs> like, Lance Anderson's been there longer than any of those guys. Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> by a long shot. And his returns have gotten worse basically every year. Yeah, and it's, 
you know, last last thing on them, we'll go to Oregon here, but it, it hurts the conference, right? When we talk about, like, teams and their commitment to football, right? I mean, like, and I get it, right? Stanford's an academic school. I, I get the, all that stuff. Like, it's, but I think that some of the fixes to get them from being like a three and nine team for them to be like a six and five, seven and five team, you know, like go into a bowl game. It's not rocket science. Like you just need, just get the cut. You already can recruit. It's a beautiful campus. It's a beautiful school. It's one of the top schools in the country. It's in Palo Alto. And there's just no, there's no commitment to being like, you know what? We need to make a change. And, you know, I'm hoping that, that, that I'm hoping they go like one and 11 so that they can either, either one and 11 or seven and five. Like let's, let's make a big improvement or bottom out. So we know that there's a change well, coming. It's frustrating too, because like, look, we'll talk, I mean, we talk about this, right? Like Stanford has a bit more of a national recruiting footprint, but it is still largely Western and it is still pretty California heavy. Right. Yeah. And the, you know, the Stanford is, the, I mean, and I, I like look. Some people make it offended. Like Stanford's like the academic crown jewel within the Pac-12, but there's some really good universities behind Stanford in the Pac-12, and it's not at like like Stanford bringing in these guys and just utterly wasting them is, is bad for the conference, right? It's bad for the conference for good California high school football players to go into it, the black hole that Stanford football has become. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer. Well, let's go. Let's go from a team that will likely bottom out to a team that is quite interesting. Let's talk about Oregon, and let's do it right after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver. Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, we're back. We're talking Oregon football, a team that is ranked in the top 15, like we mentioned, the AP football poll. Uh, Bo Nix, Byron Cardwell, you know, we got we got some interesting there's talent here. They got new new coaching staff. It's a new regime. It's a new era, but they still do have the the offensive line. I mean, like, there's a lot here to make the case that look, this team's right. going to be very good this year. But there's a lot of change, also at the same time that that makes me sometimes put my foot off that that uh, gas pedal here. Um, I mean, we got to start with Bo Nix, right? Like, a, I think it's bad that. Ty Thompson, right, like five-star top five quarterback that they signed, uh, A, wasn't able to beat out um, Anthony Brown last year or even push. Right. And then B, the coaching staff was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. We're going to bring in Bo Nix. So I think if Nix gets hurt, then then there are problems for this offense. Um, with that said, like, Nix didn't have a bad year last year. Like, I think I think that there's a floor here. 
four, like in a pretty high floor for for Knicks. But I'm curious what you think and whether you think he's a strength or not. I mean, look, I think Knicks is a strength. I mean, like I think the and I think QB is a strength for Oregon. I think a lot, of, and I, um, unbeknownst to our Pac-12 listeners, I sometimes like to irritate UCF fans by talking about like that Gus Malzahn was kind of a bad hire. <laughs> A lot of it was like that Auburn offense in the last couple of years for Malzahn really, really stagnated. Um, and he, Malzahn, you know, I think Bo Nix struggled as Malzahn's offense struggled, right? And, and teams really had his number. So I think last season he was he was better than he had been under Malzahn. Um, and it's not as if like they have like, amazing play calling last year. <laughs> that would it was probably be better than they will this year at Auburn offensively. But um, you know, I thought Nick's I thought Nick's did fine and he did it like I mean the, the you know the kind of defenses he's gonna largely face in the Pac twelve are gonna be a step down from what he was seeing in the SEC for the most part, right? Like the Pac twelve has some work to do on defense. Yeah Nick's uh, oh yeah go ahead sorry. No but I mean like but after that like there's look even if Ty Thompson doesn't become a you know day one NFL pick which I think is a disappointment when you sign a five-star Herald with QB like that. Like, there's still a bunch of guys. I mean, like, there's still a bunch of guys that are really, you know, which could still be really good college quarterbacks. We'll see. I mean, like, how many times, how many years have we said Jay Butterfield, right? Like, we're just uh, be like, how many times? How many times have we had some random Oregon fan be like, "You're forgetting about Jay Butterfield"? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> like, we'll throw him in there too. Uh, I, I would love I would I would like for Jay Butterfield to be a thing. It's it's uh, but I'm not sure if that's <laughs> if, if if Jay Butterfield could be spoken into existence, like I would have had it heckled at me. All <laughs> yeah, I'd be all in on that. Uh, yeah, I, I I do I disagree with you a little bit. Where if I th- if Nick's goes down, I'm worried about this offense um, because on paper we have players that are that are blue chip high pedigree players, but they have not once in this entire time shown me that they're willing they're able to do anything and if la- if there's one year where they, they really had a chance it was last year and, and they they just were non-factors but um taking a look at nicks right last year like you mentioned he had a good year 11 touchdowns three interceptions seven yards a p- uh, pass he look he's gonna give you about a two to one touchdown reception rate with about 400 yards on the ground a couple touchdowns the worry is and it's this has kind of been the thing with nicks for a while it's it's the accuracy right yeah um He's never thrown above 61% in terms of his accuracy. Yeah. Um, and he does make boneheaded plays in big, big moments. And look, it's a small sample size. So maybe it just was bad right. luck and, you know, whatever. But um, but we've had what, three, three and a half years, you know, with him. And, and I, I do think that he's going to be better than what they had with Anthony Brown. And I do think that this offense is going to be decent. I would say having him is a strength, but um, but – I think the ceiling is is going to be low. Is that fair? I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like Auburn's offense graded out at twenty seven last year in Beta Rank, and they were twenty seven in effective pass, forty in effective rush. Like they didn't rely on the run game a lot, you know, or they couldn't rely on it a lot. What they were really pretty good at was avoiding three and outs, avoiding turnovers last season. I mean, Nick's really took a step forward, I think, in that mark. Um, and then they were a fairly explosive offense in 23. They just weren't super efficient, like 57 in drive efficiency. I think you can get something out of Knicks, um, you know, and, 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 you know, and I think with what they're likely going to run, um, you know, as an offense, which will likely be more of a rushing offense, 
um, you know, than they've run in the past. You know, with Dillingham, you know, Dillingham is going to be, you know, Dillingham, I, I don't expect to be as much. I mean, I, he's got, he's worked for a variety of guys. I don't expect him to be running like the full Norvell, you know, out there like throwing it around like Norvell was at Memphis, <laughs> you know. Um, I think they're going to run the ball a bit. I think they're going to rely on Knicks in that, in that effect. Um, and I, and I think that could work. I mean, but that may be why Knicks is, is, is likely going to get ahead of Thompson, who is, is not really a dual threat quarterback. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we'll, we'll see. Like I just haven't seen enough of them to, to know what I'm, what I'm getting out of them. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy last season. Cause like the one thing that Anthony Brown really brought to that offense, I mean, he, he had completed it at a high rate. He didn't get the ball down, like terribly far down the field very often, but, um, was I mean they were a much better. Oregon was a really good rushing team last season, and that's what Brown really brought to the table. It's just it's crazy to think of, like what Ty Thompson could bring with his arm could not weigh what Brown was bringing to the table running the football. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what the running game is, because I love Byron Cardwell. Like I, I'm I'm okay. Because they lose Troy Dye, and that and that's that hurts right because like. I think he was better than I had anticipated him being and yeah. and really had an incredibly productive career. He didn't wear gloves. <laughs> yeah, had a productive you know, productive year last year for them. He goes over to USC, they lose him. Um, Cardwell was super fun. Like fast yeah. and young as a freshman, he jumps in, he's doing a lot of stuff, but um uh, I don't know. Like, you know, what, what do you think about what they're able to do? They bring in some transfers, you know, Minnesota running back they bring in, Gerving, uh, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, Western Kentucky, they bring another back there too. So it's not like they're not going to have players, and I think they have yeah. the offensive line. I mean, I think the rushing game is a strength, but I mean, what, like, do you think that it's going to be as good as it was last year? And how good was it last year for them? So last season they were a real run first team. I mean, look, last season I think people under. I mean, like the fact like that with. With the limitations that Anthony Brown brought to the table, and maybe it's on Moorhead a little bit for not having to develop, you know, you know Thompson more, um, you know, or Butterfield more. But they were number fourteen in beta rank on offense last year. They were just a really big play rushing offense. They were thirteen in effective rush, um, number six in explosive drives. I mean, you look at these guys. Like I, I think that it could, like you know, they've largely recruited and coached really, really well on the offensive line. Those guys didn't really transfer out and go to Miami or anything. So, I mean, you, you definitely like the way they are set up to run the football. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat like, I like last year, uh, as happened to Oregon, if you could, and there weren't a ton of teams in the conference that could do this. If you could force Anthony Brown to beat you with his arm, they were in trouble. Right. <laughs> and especially like, if you put Oregon behind where they had to throw, too, that was another thing. Like, if you put them in a spot where they had to throw the football, they were in trouble. You know, we take a look at what they bring back, right? I didn't even mention Sean Dollars. Like, are they, they bring in two solid transfers. They have Cardwell and they have Dollars. Like, there's just yeah. talent here. And yeah. I, I, with, with the line that they bring back, they're, they're going to be able to run the ball again. And yep. like the more that more than I'm working through this, the more I'm bullish on 
on the offensive side. And they should be able to add something with his legs. Because, I mean, I, I think it's fair to, like, for us, I mean, if for the purposes of this preview, let's assume Nix is a starter. Nix is going to add, you know, like, say, 400 yards or so with his legs. Yeah. I mean, what, do you think it's, like, top 25 offense? Yeah, I mean, this should be a top 25 offense. But, like, the question, again, is, like, I mean, if you're an Oregon fan and you're thinking, like, hey, we could cover versus Georgia or we're going to um, – you know, we're going to be able to hang with, uh, you know, like Utah or USC is, uh, are you, are you able to, to do anything in the passing game? That, so that's the thing because <laughs> that is the thing. <laughs> so on paper, right? Like th- this, this receiving course should be really good. They've just recruited exceptionally well. Um, but they lose a lot, right? Johnny Johnson's gone. Mike Pittman's gone. Jalen Reed, uh, Williams is gone. They lo- they lost um, even some of the players that didn't see the fields ended up transferring to other Power Five programs. Micah Pittman uh, comes. I think I might have mentioned him already, but like they they lose they lose a lot, and yep. those players were good and and like they they brought they, they, some of them had pedigree. Not all of them did. Like Johnny Johnson, I think, and, and Red were uh, were players that just ended up starting to level up and you know they progressed as they went, but. I haven't like, but even with them at Oregon, it, it possibly it was the offense, but they weren't that productive. Like Johnson certainly was, but you know, how many times was I waiting for Micah Pittman to go crazy or, or Braylon Addison to like break through and then they ended yeah. up moving positions. So like it's a new coaching staff. So like, it's kind of hard for me internally. Cause like my priors are, you know, I don't care who Oregon brings in. They're not going to have production on the field, the wide receiver position, but that whole staff is gone, and now you have these right. really high-level blue-chip players that come in. I, it's a it's an unknown for me. Well, so they've been landing. I mean, like, I will say this. They got Junior Adams, the wide receiver coach from Washington, uh, to come over uh, after the you know, staff turnover at Washington. He's been recruiting really well, but that those guys are coming in, right? Like, so they get, you know, Chase Coda. Um, they get uh, Caleb Chapman from A&M. And, like, on paper, you're like, oh, four-star players. And, like, Chase Coda, what did he do? You see, I mean, like, I've seen this movie, man. Like, he was a four-star coming out of high school. He's not now, you know. Um, Caleb Chapman, like, barely saw the field at A&M. And, like, yeah, A&M recruits pretty well. But, I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a junior. He caught 13 balls last year. Yeah. Right? Um. They didn't, like, it's not like they were, like, USC and went out and signed, like, Jordan Addison or anything like that, you know, or brought in a bevy of guys that have, you know, a ton of talent. I mean, I I don't think, like, if you go back through here, you know, like, in Oregon, and there's, like I said, like, there's certainly some guys that, um, you know, they've recruited in the past couple seasons who maybe haven't seen field yet, Um that you like to maybe get out there and like move, you know, move the needle like Troy Franklin maybe. But I mean, like it's, it's a, like, I mean, look, if they're starting Chapman and Coda, which I don't think they will, but I'm like, if Coda's one of your wide receivers, that's starting and, and taking up a bunch of snaps. Like, uh, I hope he blocks well. Cause yeah. you'll need him for that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, I mean, that, that might be the reason they brought him in. Right. Just cause he kind of reminds me of like, at least in my mind, right? And maybe maybe I'm like white receiver that's big. He's a good blocker. Right? This is possible that that's like going through my head with him. But um, I mean, like you know, Oregon has been historically they appreciate the the blocking wide receiver. 
Um, and Stanford has been great at recruiting these types of players where they're just big bodies. Um, I forget the guy, John, gosh darn, he was a five-star kid that was like, he caught like throughout his career probably 30 passes, but he was just ginormous <laughs> and really was just yeah. great when you're trying to run the football. So it's possible that that's why they ended up bringing, um, bringing Chase Coda in. But I mean, they they do they do have talent here, and it's right. Just, I mean, they have Thornton, Franklin. I mean, there's guys that you like. Can they can they produce? And like, and the idea is like, look, if Oregon, if Oregon just blows the doors off of teams and really becomes a program that competes for the the conference and competes for a national title or at least a playoff spot, it's because the wide receivers are excellent and and they they, they do have good tight ends. I should just mention like their tight ends are a strength for for this program. Um, they've recruited well, like, and I think that they're going to be fine there. But if this team gets to that next level, it's because Bo Nix has wide receivers that are open, and that he that he's going to be able to hit. Um, and and we'll see because we don't know about the wide receivers. Right. And, and uh, Nix has a sixty one percent completion rate. So I just, if that comes together, this team is going to be awesome. Th- this is the biggest question mark I think about about the uh, the the Oregon football program on the offensive side. Anything else on that front? No, no, no. I, I mean, I agree. Like, I mean, it's sort of like with Ty Thompson, right? Like, you can easily fall. Like, you can fall in love with the stars, but they they absolutely do not have the history of producing. <laughs> like at these positions, right now, they at other positions they do, but not these ones. Yeah. Um, moving over to the defense. So this this was a weakness last year. Big time. Um. Which was now they they were starting like walk-ons at the linebacker position for a little while. So I get it. I get it. There are injuries, and the injuries at that position were pretty rough. With that said, they return a lot of players. They return a lot of production, and and you get the defensive coordinator from Georgia. Um, my my question is, how much of this was Kirby Smart, um, and how much gets brought over to Oregon, um. And I don't know the answer to that question, but I do think that this defense is going to improve. I think they have the the um, they have the players, and I think Lanning is is going to bring over. I think he's just going to, and you have a healthy, you know, healthy core. But you lose Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Like, right. I just I don't know. Like, what, what do you think about? Let's start with the line. What do you think about the defensive line? I mean, look, I mean, it's I mean, it's just kind of it's it's kind of crazy to think of, right? Like with the, losing Thibodeau, right? I mean, they were. I mean, if you like Brandon Dorless, you know, there's some guys you like. Um, but it's they. They just. I mean, they they weren't impressive as a unit, right? Like, there's they can be impressive as players, right, on tape. Yeah. But that. But like, if they're not impressing as a unit, that means there's a bunch of plays on there like that are not on the highlight reel where you're like, eh, you know, like they got beat. Um, and that's that's really been their problem. Last season, like their problem was consistent. Like they could not get off the field. Like you could move the ball on this defense. They graded out 44 in overall in beta rank. Their drive efficiency was 118. Right now they um, they were pretty good at limiting explosive drives, like and, and controlling like yards per play. But you know, like you could move the ball up and down the field against these guys, and that was their real problem was consistency. And some of it is like you talked about injuries, um, and and but I I don't know like. It's 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 like hard to like you kind of end up talking yourself into like they're gonna lose one of the best players in college football, Kayvon Thibodeau, and we're gonna argue that they're gonna get a lot better on the defensive line. I just 
I mean, I give him a B on the defensive line. Like, I'm not ready to give him an A. I think, that, like, again, like, oh, there's some, there's incredible talent there. The coaching should be better, um, but they got to show it. Yeah, you know, they bring back uh, Popo Amave. Uh, they bring in Sam uh, Tiamani from Washington. So I yeah. thought that would be man, what a coup too! You're right. You pull it from you pull it from this giant giant of a man from your your arch rival. So that that's I think that gives them a strong base in the center. I think that's the most important part. And then the edges, you know, I think you you can just kind of fill in. And they've been able to recruit fairly well um, on the line in general. Uh, they they bring in a couple transfers. Like I think they brought in a guy from Nebraska. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that look, this is a B, but it has the potential to be an A. And let's see. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like it's that for me. Like, I I, I don't think I can give them like a B plus or an A in good conscience, given what we saw last season. But I think they can be. I think they the 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 the, the floor is a B, and they can get higher. Yeah. And if you, if you're making a if, if you're making the bull case for the defense, it's that the linebacking core is back and awesome, right? Like yes. Justin yes. Flo's back, Noah Sewell. I, I like Mace Funa. He might not even start. Like, I, I, it's not right. watching him slip, which is a great, right? Most teams, that, that's a good problem. Well, I mean, their problem is, is, like, in some ways, is, like, they need to be, they, and I'm interested to see how they try to rig this, right? It's like, you're going you're gonna to play most of your snaps in nickel, right, in, in modern college football. They're so strong at linebacker. They're almost better in like a three-three-five, um, you know, so that they can get these guys on the field and maybe send some of these guys in as rushers on the outside too. That's that's interesting. You know, like th- this is this is the the you know Fisher Cup bait, I think, right? Like on the defense, now it's, which is kind of tough to say. I guess that's not fair, right? It's just, it's Lanning's first year, but man, you got some freaking ballers in your linebacking core you have what most teams on the defensive front would would gladly trade their unit for uh, on the defensive line so i mean you kind of have to assume that that front seven should be good and should be better given that everybody's back and healthy outside of thibodeau and i realize that that's like a big giant asterisk but i I think i think the linebackers an a like i think there's real strength yeah, and I'm I'm fascinated to watch them run a bat, run around, and it's there's nothing more enjoyable than watching good linebackers or just aggressive linebackers that are very good in their one scheme, right? Like I think Utah sometimes does this, like your job is this, just do this well, and they do. It's the best, and I'm really looking forward to watching this core. Um, I think that there is strength, um, but I do want to see it. I like you know I need to see it all come together and them all play as a unit, right? It's a team game, but um, that that drives me to the secondary. Where where was the what was the pass defense like last year and I and I guess it matters but it doesn't matter right because they lose some big pieces. Um, they're they're a fifty five and effective pass. I mean they consistently struggled to get great pressure at the quarterback, and they consistently struggled in coverage. Right. I mean it was like I remember that game with like I mean I come back to this like I mean Arizona gave them a game minus the five interceptions from McLeod, right? But like those, like up until those, like they were moving the ball up and down the field, largely throwing, you know. Um, the, the 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 one get that they get is that is really good is they get Christian Gonzalez from Colorado. Yeah, uh, like that's a really good get for them, um, you know. And there's again, like there's there's some decent players that you like. Um, but they're gonna they're gonna have to step it up, I think, in the secondary because that was that was an area where they like 
yes, they had injuries at linebacker, but they weren't great defending the pass last season. The defensive line was largely healthy. The secondary was largely-ish healthy. You know, like, they, they had problems here. New coaching staff, again, with Lanning, you're hoping that they clean this up. Yeah, and when you take a look at the recruiting, right, like, it's again, it's it's nice to be in a position where, you know, you lose DJ James and Mikel Wright, and then you bring in um, not only, like, Christian Gonzalez from another team, but, like, you have a five-star and Manning, and, like, I mean, there's there's just – they've recruited fairly well. It's thinner than I think more Oregon fans are used to, and right. I want to see it on the field. Um, I think the biggest question mark is this. It, it's the secondary. Can they – defend the pass can the corners be good you know you're bringing in somebody that was pretty good at colorado let's see if he's you know like you know the expectations are higher at oregon than they are there um but i do think that there's more there's less pressure on him like which sounds funny right you go to a bigger program bigger games but there's more talent spread across the field um which i think is helpful and then like i don't know like what the safeties like i frankly like that was the one one area and i like I can't think how many times in my mind I was thinking of like Brady Breeze, right? Like that, that guy who showed up all the time. I think he's in the program for like six years. Um, he's gone. And like, frankly, I just didn't watch. I wasn't watching the, the safeties as much as I should have when it came to Oregon. I think that was one area where like I just my mind wasn't focused. So I'm just curious, like what 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 do you think we can expect on that front and, and just the safeties and the the uh, the secondary in general? So I mean, this is like I mean, this is one of those ones too where it gets really interesting because like I like the get that they got in Matt Powledge, who's their co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach, and then I mean I think he was a good get. I think he's one of the guys that they brought in more for scheme and coaching than like recruiting. And like if you go through the staff, I mean, there's some dudes on here where like I'm like that guy can really recruit, but <laughs> like like Coach Me Demetrius Martin, who's was it. Arizona, Colorado, UCLA. Like he's got a reputation as a really good recruiter. He's a he's 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 a pretty good you know position coach. Um, like, but you have guys on the staff like Tosh LePoy too, like who just have reputations as like nuclear recruiters, right? Um, I, I mean, like, I I'm interested to see. Like, they they I don't think that they were super well coached these last couple of seasons. Um, and I, I'm interested to see if Martin and Pavlich can, can clean it up. I would give them I, I would give them B's here. I don't think it's fair to give them A's. Yeah. Uh, like I, I think that they could be good. I like, but it's if you're going to talk about this defense as like comparatively the strength of this defense is the linebackers, right? And then everybody else is kind of hanging around like the floors of B. Maybe they could get better. I mean, it's not bad, right? And I think with landing scheme and some better coaching. Um, and, and like, uh, we should also say like, we are full on assuming landing is your play caller, <laughs> right? Yeah. Cause I'm going to say this, if Tosh LePoy is your play caller, that man was fired by Nick Saban for a reason for calling when he was calling plays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like we're assuming landing who was calling plays at Georgia, um, and was a pretty darn good play caller, uh, is calling plays for the ducks. Yeah. And, and- the secondary too, like I just think the whole secondary. This is this the key to Oregon, right? It's 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 the passing game and it's defending the pass because yeah. they do lose a lot on this front too. And you have a lot of players that were kind of in that mid like blue chip area, like a lot of four star kind of guys. 
that are going to have to prove it this year, and we just don't know. And and if the right. if the coaching staff is excellent and able to build them up, then I do think that this is a defense that will be very solid. But this could also be the weakness of the of the defense. And and then if that's the case, like if you can throw on Oregon, then I think this is like an eight to nine win team rather than like a, a you know nine to ten win team that's like pushing for the conference title, um, which is fine. But you know. And it's the first year of a new coaching staff and like they're going to have to build things up and, and get people to buy into what they're trying to do. But I do like I'm just I guess what I'm saying when it comes to the secondary is like I'm not sold and I need to see it. But if they but they have the they have the pedigree to do it. It's just can they put it together and and we'll see because the, the, the pass is going to be the key on both sides of the ball for this Oregon team on whether or not you're going to win this conference this year. Um, anything else on Oregon? Is that, or is that fair? Is that a fair assessment? No, I think that's fair. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, like we talk. I think the secondary and defensive line had moments where they showed up big last season for the Ducks, and then they had moments where they were missing in action. And I think that's largely going to be true. Like, I think that it's fair to say, like, yeah, hey, we're 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 just less sure. And I think you're right. And the, the secondary has far more questions, right? On and, and they, I mean, well, Christian Gonzalez is a really good get for them. Like, they didn't bring in anybody else, right, that could potentially come in and, and, and help them out this season. So, yeah, I think that there's, I think that there's some, there's some really good talent there. Um, but they, they really got to develop it and, and, and put it on the field. And I mean, to your point, right? Like, if you can, if you can throw on these ducks and 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 this year may be the year that that gets you in trouble. The fact that last year was not a great year for quarterbacks in the conference. We all think that this year the quarterbacks in the conference are going to be a lot better. Yeah. And shout out to uh, Coach Meat for trying to get his, you know, Pac-12, uh, you know, stamp. Poo-poo yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Turn it in. It's a free coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turn it in chilies for your free drink. Yeah. Uh, so we, we will enjoy your next move uh, as, as the, you know, hopefully he sticks around with Oregon, but. Um, in any case, all right, let's 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 end it there. SharpCollegeFootball.com, YouTube.com, SharpCollegeFootball, where you can watch all of Rob's previews. Rob, you have anything else to plug? Uh, man, I finished them all. Like, I've done 30 previews. I'm going to try to do Washington this week because I had a Washington fan ask me um, saying that they enjoyed the previews and they were looking forward to the Washington ones. So there are 36. I'm going to do them. I, I almost always do Arizona just for my own entertainment um, heading into the season so I can get it, like um, – go through the process I do for putting the preview together and like go through Arizona's numbers and what to maybe expect. Um, if there's any other Pac-12 teams you're like dying to see me do a preview, like hit me up. I'll see if I can fit it in. Yep. Twitter at 12 pack radio, Rob Barron at uh, beta rank FB and sharp college football there too. Uh, we will catch you next week and send us any questions. We're going to do, we have a couple more teams left before we get to week zero. So very, very excited about that. And we will talk to everybody soon.